you can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm Dan Pfeiffer. Later in the pod, we'll be talking to Crooked Media's token Republican, our own Crooked contributor, Tim Miller, about the Republican Congress's pathetic response to Trump's betrayal of America during his press conference with Vladimir Putin. We'll also talk about the White House's attempt to clean up this mess, what Democrats should be saying about it. Uh, Lots going on this week. Before we begin, the wilderness is out. Crooked Media's first documentary podcast series about the history and future of the Democratic Party, uh, written and directed by me. And the first four episodes are out. If you haven't already listened, go check them out. Um, And you can. Don't worry about missing it because it is not uh, part of the news cycle, this podcast. It's sort of a a broader look at the Democratic Party. Um, Every friend of the pod out there, please download, listen, tell me what you think. Would love everyone to hear it. I have some thoughts on this. One, it's fabulous. It's truly fabulous. Uh, and I'm just very happy. Thanks. Uh, I'm just very happy it's out there. I think it's a really important thing for the party. Two, I think this is a shot across the bow at the other John Favreau that you've given yourself the title director. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting project because as, if you listen to it, it is very different than our usual Cricket Media pods where we like sit around the table. And um, we partnered with the production company Two Up uh, to to create this, and they did such a great job. It's like got music and archival sound and all kinds of interesting bells and whistles that makes for an easy listen. So, yeah, I I can say directed since they they put it all together, but I I sort of uh, spent ten months writing a lot of it, and um, it was a lot of work, but it was fun. Um, it's it's important. I'm glad you did it. Yeah, and uh, and the next episode is about race and politics, uh, and that will be out on Monday. So check it out and catch up with the first four episodes over the weekend. Um, okay, let's talk about the the not walk back, the walk not back. Um, <laughs> Donald Trump has spent the last two days attempting to clarify, but mostly confirming, the remarks he delivered at a press conference with Vladimir Putin, where he stunned the world by siding with the Russian president over our own government which has concluded that Putin sabotaged the 2016 election in order to install Trump as president. On Tuesday, Trump asked us to believe that he misspoke, that when he said he didn't see any reason why it would be Russia that sabotaged our election, what he really meant was he didn't see any reason why it wouldn't be Russia. You can see where he'd make that very easy mistake. Dan, Shall we start to enumerate all the different ways that this explanation is a steaming pile of horseshit? <laughs> I think it's very objective of you as now now a journalist and a director that you use the term <laughs> seemingly as opposed to an actual pile of horseshit. I mean, it it is so absurd on so many levels. And it is embarrassing. I mean, it basically, I think most of the things that Trump's, Trump does shows that he's an idiot, but this explanation shows that both he's an idiot, but he thinks that everyone else is also an idiot. In particular, his supporters 
and his fellow members of the Republican Party, that this is the fig leaf that he would give them to hang on to, to not so that they would stop saying that Trump uh, had sided with Putin, was a traitor to the country, put Putin's word of the intelligence services and everything else that had been happening for the last two days. Yeah, I mean, just to go through, it's obvious to all of us that the walk back was pretty much bullshit. But just to go through why, in that same Helsinki presser, Trump also said that Putin offered an extremely strong and powerful denial, quote, uh, of hacking. Uh, asked whether he believed Putin or his own intelligence director, Trump said, quote, I have confidence in both parties, echoing uh, many fine people on both sides from Charlottesville. Um, also, Trump didn't correct his alleged misstatement during either of his earlier interviews with Sean Hannity or Tucker Carlson. Um, and then probably the most important thing, he's publicly doubted that Russia was to blame for the hacking since the 2016 campaign. He's doubted it in tweets. He's doubted it in interviews. He's doubted it everywhere, right? I mean, <laughs> the idea that like now he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I always believed it was uh, R- Russia that did the hacking. It just doesn't hold up. Most of the press, I think, treated this with the appropriate level of skepticism, pointing yes. out that he, within one paragraph, said – uh, that he took the word of his intelligence community, of his intelligence agencies. But then in the next sentence said, it could be anyone. It could be China. It could be anyone else. And so within one paragraph, he both accepted – he walked back what he did and then unwalked it back. I don't, I don't know what he the walked it forward. walk back is. Walk. <laughs> walk forward. Either way, it, we, could, we could get tied up for months around this. But the point is, it was completely pitiful. And it does show – like it, that. It, I think this is one of the most revealing – episodes into Trump's mentality is that he is so obsessed with, for whatever reason, right? And we we can talk about the reasons, but he's so obsessed with casting doubt on Russia's involvement on his behalf that he can't even read the hostage statement without then undermining the hostage statement in the same sense. Like he's even, he's in, like he obviously understood to the extent that Trump can understand anything intellectually, like according to the reports, like Kelly and Pompeo and Pence, all these people came to him and said, uh, you have to fix it. So Trump enough, and this only happened a handful of times in his presidency. He didn't do it around shithole countries. He didn't do it around the fraudulent votes. He didn't do it around the wiretapping of Obama. He only, really only did it around very fine, Nazis are very fine people and, and this statement where he will come out and basically do a corrective, right? He will yeah. try to clean up the mess. So we understood that intellectually, but in the moment, he is so psychologically and emotionally twisted about this that he couldn't even do it and had to undermine the statement in the moment, which says so much about the psychology at play here that, frankly, that Putin's taking advantage of left and right. Well, so Fox and Friends showed this montage this morning that supposedly shows all the times that Trump has acknowledged Russian election sabotage. But even, and Trump, of course, tweeted this, um, but if you actually look at the montage, it actually shows Trump saying, I think it was Russia, but maybe it was China. Maybe it was others. A lot of people could have done this. In every single clip, there is no time. There's no time where he unequivocally says it was Vladimir Putin and Russia that directed this hacking. Full stop, period. He always has to add a qualifier because he doesn't really believe it. Uh, or he doesn't want people to know he believes it, or he doesn't want his uh, Russian handler, Vladimir Putin, um, be- you know, believing that he believes it. Um, 
But there was also last night we should talk about the New York Times story that was that came out last night um, that revealed Donald Trump learned that it was Vladimir Putin himself that directed the hack two weeks before his inauguration. And he learned it because our intelligence agencies found this out from a source close to Putin. That sourcing was incredible. That First of all, I can't even believe that the – something – we should talk about this. Like something interesting or horrible must have happened <laughs> for the New York Times to publish that U.S. intelligence agencies learned of the hacking from a source that was close to Vladimir Putin. I mean that's pretty crazy, right? Yeah, it's crazy that that's how they learned it. It's also crazy that the New York Times reported that. Now, you know, Tommy and Ben can Ben Rhodes can speak to this with greater knowledge than – I can. They had more experience dealing with the Times in these sorts of situations. But I, I'm sort of skeptical the Times would have published it if that source was still in play, right? That they would have burned right. the source. Uh, I mean, they have yeah. published things we asked them not to do for various reasons. And sometimes maybe they were right. Sometimes we were right. But I think in this case, it probably means that source is no longer in play. But I'd be interested to hear what Tommy and our other foreign policy nerd friends uh, think about that. But it's very, it is a very closely held source and it would, it would, that uh, you would have thought for a normal rational thinking human being that would be case closed for Trump right right and he's known this all and so all this time that he's cast out on the investigation calling it a witch hunt doubting Russian hacking sucking up to Vladimir Putin this whole time he had been told before he even became president that we knew with confidence that Putin himself directed this attack on the United States, one of the largest cyber attacks in our history. Um, do you have a Do you have a theory on this? As to do you like so this can go a couple ways, right? It could be he be, he believed the intelligence community, but then doesn't want to say it publicly for what I think are two possible reasons. One, saying it publicly to him admits that he did not win fairly or that or furthers the idea that the the Mueller investigation is legitimate or he just doesn't believe it or and so so if he believes it it's either legitimizes Mueller or angers Putin which he's afraid to do or refuses to believe it because he he is a paranoid crazy uncle who thinks the US intelligence agencies are out to get him I mean, you know, with Trump it's always a mix of everything, but I do find many problems with the legitimacy excuse because if he was really worried that evidence of hacking would cast doubt on the legitimacy of his election he would try to continually say there was no hacking from anyone instead he tries to say maybe it was china or maybe it was others or maybe it was the 400 pound guy or maybe it was hacking uh, from any number of people out there and that doesn't really make much sense if his real concern is the legitimacy of the election it also doesn't make sense why during the election he would suck up to Putin as much as he did and say such nice things about Vladimir Putin all through the 2016 election um, because that was before the legitimacy of his election was in doubt. So I think everyone's like, what does Russia have on him? Is it the P-tape? Is it financial? Whatever else. I, I'm thinking that what Russia has on him is that they know they helped him win the election and they also may know that members of his inner circle helped them help him win the election. Um, and potentially Trump himself knows something about this. So the compromat that Putin has on him is the fact that he helped him win the election. That's my theory. And Trump doesn't and, and that's why Trump's sucking up to Putin. I I I buy that theory. 
Because I just think that the whole like, oh, I don't want to acknowledge this because I'm wrong. Like I used, I, I sort of gave that theory legitimacy too. But the more, the more he's been acting the way he has, and especially after the press conference, I just don't think it's about legitimacy. I mean, the fact, the fact that the best case scenario, like when you hear what the Trump apologists and staff read out to Jonathan Swan, which is the closest thing I think we get to what the Trump the Trump team wants you to know about Trump, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is that he, in his mind, can't separate coll- the idea of election hacking from the idea that he illegally colluded, and therefore he sort of sees weakness in it. And like that is their best case. And their best case is that he is dangerously unfit to be president of the United States, but not a traitor. Like that is like he intellectually is incapable of the nuance to understand two separate things or to put his put his the the safety of the country over his own fragile ego. And that that is their best argument, which shows just how fucked up this situation is. Also keep in mind of the inner circle, the people who are leaking to Jonathan Swan now Almost none of them were there during the campaign, and so probably none of them know that there was real. Probably none of them know for sure that there was collusion. Like Jared and Ivanka were both there in the campaign; they were members of the inner circle. But the rest of the inner circle is gone now. So it very well may be that these awful people in the Trump administration, and whether they know about collusion or not, they're still awful from everything else they've done. Um, but it very well may be that the people leaking to reporters right now, like, oh, he didn't really collude; he's not really a traitor, all that kind of stuff. They just don't know. Um, and I mean, think about everything Steve Bannon said to Michael Wolf and has said since then about how, yeah, that June 5th meeting, that was fucking treasonous. Remember Steve Bannon called it treasonous. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, now Dan, I was surprised that Trump was even attempting to walk it back. That was my surprise. I thought he would just f- sort of plow ahead. Why do you think he walked this one back? Like he walked, tried to walk back a few other um, awful incidents in his presidency. I think he Trump judges everything based on TV coverage, and I think even Fox, right? Not Hannity and Tucker Carlson, who were broadcasting, uh, you know, basically from inside Trump's ego. The but just like during the day, he was seeing more negative, more Republicans say negative things about him that he has seen probably since 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 the, the Nazi comment. Um, and yeah. so I think that is part of it. And I, I, you know, when McConnell and Ryan and these others for the first time really like put out statements that were specifically critical of Trump, like even Paul Ryan's Nazi statement was a statement against Nazism, not against the president who endorsed Nazism. And right. so I think he felt some pressure to try to fix it. I'm sure in his own mind, because he like he, like facts are just malleable aspects of his own narrative that he did not think he he like he thought he probably was tough on Russia and therefore he wanted to make it clear that he was in this statement. And so I think he probably felt some measure of political pressure and I think the combination of Pence and Pompeo was probably more carried more weight than the normal cast of clowns who ask him to do things. I think Pence very rarely goes to Trump and says Pence is basically absent, right? He's just doing uh, you know, just going to Indianapolis Colts games for five minutes at a time. Um, <laughs> just to stir up racial he, grievance. Yeah. It, so I think he, like him asking Trump to do something may have carried some weight that doesn't normally exist. Made this seem like a bigger deal. I also love uh, Gabe Sherman in Vanity Fair points out that uh, John Kelly 
was encouraging, encouraging Republican members of Congress to uh, criticize Trump about this. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> they gave he gave them the go ahead to do that um, because I mean, he thought that maybe the public pressure would cause Trump to try to walk it back. Kelly is basically like the guy in office space who's trying to get fired. <laughs> like he's not going to quit and he's just going to hang out there and do nothing and play with the uh, hole punch <laughs> until someone sends him home. I thought this was my stapler. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule Damn. is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. You know, you know, you know. Have you been able to this. squeeze that special thing into your schedule, John? Yeah, that's. I think it's thanks to therapy. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it. Mm-hmm. More time for you. I. Uh... You know, because we've been doing what a weekday, mm-hmm. I actually put that in my therapy spot. You know, I, I replaced therapy with doing an extra podcast. Mm. It was a huge mistake. So, uh, what do you spend time doing in therapy now? Well, now I brought therapy back. I okay, added therapy good, back good. to another time because uh, it turns out talking that's about... going to make the jokes better. <laughs> well, it's certainly going to make things better for the team. <laughs> <laughs> if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and Suited to your schedule, just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash PSA today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash PSA. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Reclaim your time now that you can listen to four weekly ads-free episodes across Pod Save America and Pod Save the World. There's never been a better time to join Cricket's Friend of the Pod subscription community. The marketing people say that listening ads-free saves you up to two hours of ad listening each month. Imagine the possibilities. You know what you can do with two extra hours a week? You can listen, listen to, two- to more podcasts. Exactly. Ah, two more episodes. That's yeah. two more episodes. Yeah. Get more stuff in your brain. Yeah. Get more stuff in that more brain. More stuff and content in there like, yeah, uh, like you're a foie gras <laughs> Become a member today. Go to crooked.com slash friends now to learn more. So the thing, so Trump didn't just stop at the attempted walk back um, as he so often, as is so often the case when he tries to do these things. He's basically fucked up like 10 more times over the last couple days um, as he was giving interviews to try to walk this back. I just want to go through a few of the big ones. Um, first, uh, this was from the Associated Press. Trump was asked at the end of a cabinet meeting Wednesday if Russia was still targeting the U.S. He answered no without elaborating. This is after his own director of intelligence just said last week that the threat of Russian election interference in 2018 is a, quote, red blinking light. Uh, What did you think about that one? Well, originally I was concerned, but then Sarah Huckabee Sanders told me later on the day that when he was saying no repeatedly while staring at at the reporter who asked the question... He was merely saying, no, I don't want to take questions this day. So now I feel much better. You know, which Cecilia Vargas, um, multiple other reporters who were in the room all say that Huckabee's explanation was complete bullshit. All of them said that he was looking right at the right at the reporter 
and said no to that question. Um, question is, you know, of course, <laughs> of course, that's what he meant because it's just like North Korea. We're seeing the same thing play out, which is. If the answer to the question is yes, which it is actually yes, we are seeing this happen every day, then Trump has to admit failure and criticize Putin at the same time. Two things he can't do, because if he went to this big mano a mano, super successful meeting he said he had, and Putin is actively attacking America at this moment, then he failed in the summit. And so, of course, he would say that. It's so obvious. And at some point, we should, we should, I guess, stop being insulted that they keep giving us this bullshit, but, you know. This is also another piece of evidence that his coziness with Putin and his weakness with regard to Putin has nothing to do with his concern about the legitimacy of his own election. He could very easily not talk much about what happened in 2016 or try to cast doubt on what Russians did in 2016 and still say, but we're doing everything we can to make sure that nothing happens in 2018. And we believe they're targeting us in 2018 and we're trying to stop it. And, and this government's doing everything it possibly can. Um, but he's not doing that. He's not doing it. No, because he wants the help. He wants the help. Yes. He wants like, the like, help. We have, to, we, have, we have to put this in the context of when, the, when he was losing to Hillary Clinton, he specifically and publicly asked Vladimir Putin to go hack her emails, which then they tried to do later that day. And so it is obvious he wanted they wanted Russia's help in 2016. They we know that from his son, we know that from the meeting that his son, his son-in-law campaign manager had with Russians promising dirt on Hillary Clinton. We know that from multiple contacts that uh, Roger Stone, his top political advisor had with Gusever 2.0, who turned out to be a Russian agent, and we know that from multiple political operatives who were in contact with Russians all over the place. Trump's team was meeting with Russians asking for help. So it seems to ipso facto suggest that he wants help this time as well, and he is not going to do anything to stop it. Yeah, because again, he did a CBS interview last night, and even in that interview when he finally said, oh yeah, I told him there shouldn't be meddling. Uh, first of all, he now calls it meddling, which is like the you know sort of lightest word that you can use to describe uh, an effort to hack and steal documents from an opposing party by a foreign government in our election um he can't bring himself to be really strong about it he's like yeah you know i said no more meddling but what can a statement do right um it's just his heart's not in it even when he is forced to read these hostage statements prepared by his own government um to really say that he doesn't want meddling um and there are a couple other instances that should make us think there's something else going on here um in his interview with tucker carlson uh, his safe space on Fox News, uh, Trump complained. Trump complained about the very purpose of NATO, which is a mutual defense pact. Uh, he complained about having to defend tiny Montenegro and called the people of Montenegro aggressive people who might start a war with Russia. Montenegro joined NATO in 2017 after Russia plotted a coup to overthrow its government. Now, look again. Some people say, okay, Tucker asked him the question, why should our kids go defend Montenegro if there's an attack? So people say, okay, well, Tucker led him to talk about Montenegro. But no one led Trump to suddenly then say, you know, those people in Montenegro, they're, they're strong people. They're aggressive people. They might start a war themselves. And then suddenly we're in World War III. They might go attack Russia. No one told him to say that. No one led him to that sentence. That's just him talking about Montenegro possibly attacking Russia, which is what Vladimir Putin says. Do you also know where the very strong people of Montenegro are right now? 
Aren't they in Afghanistan? Helping, They're in Afghanistan yeah. helping defend the United States, which was attacked on 9-11 from Afghanistan. I mean, like, it is obvious he's parroting something that either Putin said to him or someone who is advocate, who is speaking Putin, giving Putin's talking points about NATO. And it is fucking insane that the new – and this has been – you see some of this from some members of Congress, some Republican pundits – is the new – Republic isolationist Republican message is why should we defend Montenegro? Right. Like it, I mean, when, if we just want to take a trip down memory lane, when France did not go to war in Iraq with us, the entire Republican party shamed the Dixie chicks out of business and renamed French fries, freedom fries. And so now the, now, you know, however many years later we are in a world where we are trying to dismantle NATO make a political argument against NATO, which just happens to be the top foreign policy priority of the people who want to help the Republicans win the election by interfering against the Democrats. Yeah. And by the way, Trump doesn't really have a lot of other strong opinions on foreign policy. <laughs> it's, not, it's not like this guy's out there with a theory of the case, you know, with some doctrine. Um, but suddenly he has a ton of thoughts about NATO. And about trade packs and about all the other kind of things. It's just, it's a lot. The most powerful special interest in the Republican Party right now is not the Koch brothers. It's not pharma. It's big Russia. Yeah. And it's not even, you, you used to think maybe it was the NRA, but now we're learning that the NRA was uh, funded by Russian interest during the, 20, during the 2016 campaign. Um, but this, this example might be the worst of all this week, I think. On Wednesday... The Russian prosecutor general's office said it wanted to interview the U.S.-born Bill Browder, who exposed tax fraud in Russia. Um, Tommy's interviewed Bill on Pod Save the World. And um, friend of the pod, Mike McFall, also former U.S. ambassador to Russia. And when Sarah Sanders was asked whether Donald Trump might be considering turning over a loyal American diplomat to a hostile regime that murders dissidents, she admitted that Trump and Putin talked it over during their meeting in Helsinki and then she declined to rule it out. Quote, the president is going to meet with his team and we'll let you know when we have an announcement on that. On turning over a U.S. ambassador to Russian prosecutors for questioning and Bill Browder. That was fucking disgraceful. So Nate Silver uh, had a tweet yesterday which said basically – I'm going to paraphrase I saw here. this. Uh, the, the way he manages the flow of Trump news – or new flow of news during this Trump era – is to focus on the things that Trump is doing and not the things Trump is considering because most of the things he considers ends up not happening. And, and when you get outraged about the things he's considering, you miss a lot of the, very, the actual things that are happening. And I think there is some truth to that. When they say things like, we're going to stop having White House briefings or we're going to ban this newspaper, a lot of times that is just trolling to get the press worked up right, or venting or whatever else. Um, and then there are some times that just Sarah Huckabee Sanders is so far out of the loop and unprepared, she doesn't know what to say, so she leaves things open that aren't actually open. But I think this is different because in the context of the, of the Russians who have been indicted, Trump said Putin had some interesting ideas. And so it is not crazy to think that Trump could be tricked into some sort of trade. Right, where Mueller, where like we would question these Russians, and the Russians would get to question uh, Mike and Bill, and that he like that just you can see in Trump's mind 
how like in like in the world in which he thinks he is a good deal maker when he is actually the guy who pays full price for a used car that he thinks he's doing the right thing there. And then also just in general, Trump has been very, very pro Putin. So we should be very concerned about this because it sets a very different. It's not just because uh, Bill has been on Tommy's podcast and Mike is a is a friend of friend and former colleague of ours. This is. It is very alarming that they have not cleaned this up as of the time of this podcast. Because if this was something where Sarah Huckabee Sanders just didn't know what to say, and therefore she went back to her office, and then uh, someone who worked for John Bolton came in and said, this is not actually true, you can take this off the table, and then they would have put out a statement right away, because this has been getting a lot, there's been a lot of fuel to fire. So it suggests that, at least as of the recording of this podcast, which I'm just I'm jinxing us that this is something that at least in in Trump's mind, if not in other corners of the government, is an open question. Yeah, I mean, and the only comfort um, we can take in this situation is the fact that the State Department spokesperson called the idea absolutely absurd. Um, so at least the State Department's on a different page. But you know, Trump also runs the entire government; he's the president of the United States. So um, it's it's pretty scary. And it's also you're right; it's not just about Mike and Bill. It puts every other diplomat that's serving the United States all around the world in danger. The fact that, you know, diplomats are supposed to have diplomatic immunity. Wherever they are in countries, they're supposed to be protected. The United States is supposed to stand up for them. The United States is supposed to fucking stand up for its own citizens. And the idea that the president of the United States would entertain betraying a law-abiding American citizen for some fucking deal with Vladimir Putin, who's the dictator of a hostile regime, is, I, I don't even know what to say about it. <laughs> Um, I think there was a Democratic member of Congress who was asked, la- asked last night, like, would it be impeachable if Trump did that? And he was like, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I would say so. I would say so if the president of the United States turns over an American diplomat to Vladimir Putin for questioning. I, th- I think that would, uh, that would qualify as impeachable. Um, it's crazy. Did you see there was, there was a clip going around of Russia State TV talking about this whole week? And... Um, This is a quote from Russian state TV host number one. Quote, it is very bizarre. You can't bash your own country like that, especially when you're president, talking about Trump. And Russian state TV host number two says, quote, when Trump says our relations are bad because of American foolishness and stupidity, he really smells like an agent of the Kremlin. I mean, (laughs) the Russians are very good at trolling. (laughs) Also that they went out and announced uh, a bunch of verbal agreements that Trump and they said that we have a bunch of we're looking forward to implementing the things that Trump and Putin agreed on and no one in the government has any idea what those are including specific things around what's happening in Syria. Yeah. Pretty uh pretty scary. Um I one one other question about this. So like yes, of course Trump would do Hannity and um Tucker and Tucker Carlson, right? Just because like small children need their blankie, but the like do sitting, he has done almost no interviews with non Fox syncophants mm-hmm. for almost a year now. Do you like? I'm curious about the thinking that put that put him doing a big like post meeting CBS interview. Like, did they like? I got the sense that that's been on that was been on the books before we need to clean anything up. So were they thinking this was going to be so successful that they just wanted to tell the world about it? Like or that's like, what I think. I just anyone who knows anything about Trump, right, who spent any time with him, knows that this was likely to be one of the biggest disasters in history. And so, are they just so have they drank so much orange flavored Kool Aid? I just I just can't imagine a thinking human being thinking that 
this was the time that you would break out of your filter bubble. That's the only thing I thought, too, is that, A, it was on the books before the press conference happened, and so they probably felt like they couldn't cancel it. Um, but I wonder if they deluded themselves into thinking that this trip and this press conference was going to be as, quote-unquote, successful as his North Korea summit, which which they clearly thought was a big a big win for him. And they thought maybe they'd do another, you know, victory lap after the summit and have him talk. I don't know, though. It's you're right. Like one thing this week has reminded us is that every time Trump does do a sit down interview that's freewheeling, that's not with Tucker or Sean Hannity or Fox and Friends, um, he says all kinds of crazy shit that has pretty scary policy implications. Like we're not used to that anymore because he's been walled off for so many months and all he does is sort of tweet and say things at pool sprays once in a while and then go and, you know, do his crazy stump speech. But when he's actually confronted with questions, um, it just sort of highlights his ignorance, his narcissism, it's all the his racism, all of his problems. <laughs> it's uh it's pretty bad. Yeah, he- he, I mean, you kind of have to say this every once in a while, but he really shouldn't be president. Like he, <laughs> I saw you tweet that. So put put <laughs> put policy that. aside, <laughs> but he is just so dangerously, emotionally, intellectually, temperamentally unfit for the job. He is the like. I mean, this is you would really have to stretch to find someone who would be worse at this job than him. It's just it's a hard job. It requires you to learn a lot of things, to hold nuanced thoughts, to sometimes put your own political needs and ambitions below a greater priority for the country, to want to reach out to people who may not like you and may even hate you. Those are all the things you need in a president. And every we've had presidents who were good and we've had presidents of bad, but we have never had a president this bad. The, just the absolute wrong person at the at any time for this job. Yeah. And a lot of people will say, look, we've had other presidents that did more damage. Um, you know, George Bush took us into the wrong took us to war into the wrong country. Um, but again, I think that we've been in a way lucky with Trump that most of the crises that he's dealt with have been of his own making. And again, he has still not had to face a genuine outside threat. And tried to make a decision that was life a life or death decision for many people in this country and around the world. And when he has, of, with the exception of Puerto Rico, with the exception of Puerto Rico, and we saw how that turned out. Um, and uh, you know, and like he created the family separation crisis, he created the Charlottesville crisis, he created this uh, Putin crisis. Um, but God forbid, you know, there's some kind of foreign policy, national security emergency, or some economic calamity that he has to deal with. Like, again, we could be still, the, the worst days of the Trump presidency could could still be yet to come, uh, which I know is not a happy thought. Um, no. So let's talk about the Republican reaction. <laughs> Speaking of uh, non-happy thoughts. Um, so there was bipartisan condemnation on Monday even if it was mostly, you know, sad tweets and troubled statements from Republicans in Congress. But on Tuesday and Wednesday, as you noted, as, as Trump tried to clean up the mess, they all jumped right back on the Trump train. Um, Rob Portman, senator from Ohio, said, quote, he took the president at his word. Marco Rubio, just, you know, the pillar of courage, said that he was glad Trump, quote, clarified it. Uh, Lindsey Graham said, 
Quote, he'd been reassured unequivocally by the White House legislative team that the president's no response to shadowed questions was not intended to suggest that Trump doubts the intel community's assessment that Russia is continuing to attack our elections. Um, Dan, why are they doing this? Why are they sticking with him yet again? They, I mean, let's let's do the important stipulation that they are, they have been moral cowards who have been willing to coddle racism and misogyny in the search of... Uh, political power and lining their own pockets for long before Donald Trump ever showed up. And it is that exact cowardice and moral ineptitude that led them, that led us to have Donald Trump as the head of the Republican Party and eventually the United States to begin with. So let's wait that. The very specific reason they are doing it this time is because they feel that they are hostage to Trump's Trump voters. And polls out already show that people, that Republicans overwhelmingly approve of Donald Trump's summit with uh, Putin, they believe, but like th- uh, three to one, that election interference is a distraction, and that even if they do think Trump did not do a great job in the summit, it is inconsequential their support of him. And if these, if they cannot get enthusiasm among the Trump base up, then they are going to lose the House and maybe even the Senate. And so they have to, even even though they agree with us that he is dangerously unfit for the job that he is in Vladimir Putin's pocket for whatever reason, P-tape, money laundering, ego, need for election assistance. They believe that they are going to lie to the American people about it because they would rather win an election than help the country. Yeah. I mean, just to dig into those poll numbers you referred to, um, SurveyMonkey, Axios poll, um, on the way, question on the way Trump handled his press conference with Putin. Um, the good news in that poll, 58% disapprove, 40% approve. Um, with independence, that number is 62% disapprove, 33% approve. But then, as you referenced, um, for Republicans, only 18% disapprove of the way he handled the press conference. 18% thought it was a bad idea. 79% approved. There was a CBS poll out as well. CBS polls are a little higher quality than SurveyMonkey, actually quite a bit higher quality than SurveyMonkey. But even in that poll, um, 55% disapprove of Trump's handling of the press conference, 32% approve. And for Republicans in the CBS poll, 21% disapprove, 68% approve. So a little better than the SurveyMonkey poll, but not by much. Um, I think the question I have, Dan, is does it, I mean, it matters um, for the Republican Congress that Republicans approve of Trump no matter what, because it means that they are going to do nothing um, to stop him or to rein him in or to hold him accountable. And it seems likely that they won't do anything, even if Bob Mueller um, comes out with something uh, even bigger or, come, you know, sort of determines that Trump has committed a crime or that people close to him have committed a crime, that there was some kind of collusion. Um, but I wonder if electorally how much it matters and and is there an issue with focusing only on Republican voters and Trump voters and what they think when we see these numbers, we see his numbers cratering among independents. We know that, you know, the number of people who identify themselves as Republican voters has dropped since the 2016 election. Um, What do you think about that? Yes. My answer to that is yes. Uh, (laughs) No one, most people in the press don't fully understand how to talk about polls. There are certainly exceptions. Dan Balls, Ron Brownstein, Jonathan Martin, who sort of get 
you know, Maggie Haberman, people who get deeper into the numbers. Uh, I could give a couple others, Molly Ball, et cetera. But most people talk about it in these headline fashion. And it is, it doesn't, the big headline here is Americans overwhelmingly disapprove of how Trump has handled Russia. Like that is the headline. That should be what should be discussed. If you wanted, the way to talk about uh, this is, so I, I guess I'd say a couple things about this. One, focusing only on Trump's base being with Trump is a dumb story. Whether you do it via poll or you choose the you choose the New York Times approach, which is to forget that modern opinion research methods have been invented and just go to a bar and talk to random people wearing Trump shirts and see if they still like Trump. Um, either way, it doesn't... <laughs> we, should, we, should, we should stop here to talk about the New York Times story, just, just to laugh about it, because I actually thought it was like a click hole piece or an onion piece because this is what this is what the lead of the piece was yesterday at a bar in central pennsylvania voters wondered if election meddling was really so terrible um it's a witch hunt says carol living good of indiana who says she owns enough maga hats and shirts to wear one every day of the week why are you talking to this person what do you think the person who has enough maga hats to wear every day of the week is going to say about this of course they're going to support him but they're all the same. Know. There's only one MAGA hat. They're all the same. <laughs> like I think she wasted her money. She probably maybe yeah, she needed yeah, two she, in case one gets messy. But are they getting dirty every day? Why do you need so many MAGA hats? But I mean, it is so. I try. You, this is a conversation that is so hard to have with most reporters about why this is a dumb right. story. It can be an interesting read, right? Like, oh, we talked to some people in this one place in Pennsylvania, and here's what they say. And that is fine because basically anyone can post anything on the internet. If the New York Times wants to do that, they can do that as well. But what is it just a fundamentally ignorant move is to try to draw larger political lessons from that. We know how to measure public opinion in this country. We know how to track trends. We don't always do it the best way as possible, but these tools have been invented. They've been around for more than a half century. The equivalent of what the New York Times does over and over again would be if Al Roker gave the weather on the Today Show based on how his knee felt. It, I mean, like, we know how to do these things. They're not perfect, but they are better than asking random people. So it is just, I don't, it's reached a point of self parody. I don't really understand I mean, what is happening. No, this there. is like, <laughs> well, this is, you know, for, for the wilderness for episode four, we wanted to talk to voters. And we, you know, I did this thing where I said, call in, leave a voicemail. What's wrong with the Democratic Party and how do we fix it? And we wanted to do that just because we wanted everyone to participate. But I knew full well that the voicemails that came in were not scientifically representative of the population. And so I didn't want to use them too much in the episode because I didn't want people to think that the opinions in those voicemails were necessarily representative of a broader spectrum of voters, which is why I did focus groups. And focus groups have science and research behind them. And we tried to talk to Obama-Trump voters. We tried to talk to Obama-non-voters. Like, and political uh, scientists, pollsters in both parties, public opinion research people, they all understand this. The New York Times could go talk to some of them and then have them go do a study for them. Um, the, Trump's approval rating has gone between, you know, it's been as low as like 36, 37, 38 percent and as high as 45, 46 percent. In that range are a bunch of voters, a bunch of people who've gone back and forth about Donald Trump since he was elected, or even since before he was elected. Figuring out what those people think about Donald Trump and how those people are reacting to various news events is actually very valuable. You like Trump one day, you don't like Trump the next day. Why? 
Um, you could go talk to those people. Not talking to those people, talking to a bunch of people who are just wearing MAGA hats or people who are actual Republican operatives is just lazy. And it actually skews people's perception of what's happening in politics in any given day. Yeah. yeah it's, That's my here's the craziest story. thing is the New York Times <laughs> actually could do this. I think they actually might have like my. Well, and, and as you said, they have really smart political reporters who get this. They have some like Maggie and Jmart and Alex Burns. Like all those people get this very well. And look, I think we should. This story is ridiculous. The Times are most famous for doing this, and others do this all the time. And it's just it's stupid, and they shouldn't do it. And I mean, I, we could talk about this for ten days because it makes me so furious. Because it's just it is the worst. Is the not the worst? There is lots of really bad political journalism uh, that is nefarious and cynical. This is just deeply ignorant and in a dumb way. Look, the only reason that I harp on it is because I think it does have an impact and it makes a difference. Because when something happens in the world or Trump does something awful, and we all start tweeting about it and say this is this is what Democrats should focus on. This is how Democrats should fight. This is the kind of ad a Democrat should make. This is the kind of message a Democrat should use. You inevitably get a whole bunch of people now who say, "LOL, nothing matters. Trump's base is never going to desert him. I, that's all I see." And so we shouldn't bother doing anything because we're all screwed and nothing matters anyway. And he's never going to, you know, his support's never going to drop. And that's not true. It may be that nothing matters. With the, with the 35, 36% of people that call themselves Trump's base, and that is very disturbing, and it's awful that we have a population of people like that in the country who have essentially been brainwashed by Fox News and Donald Trump, but that is different from saying that the majority of people in this country, or even the majority of people that in states that add up to 270 electoral votes, can't be persuaded to vote against Donald Trump next time. That's just not, that. there's no nothing in the research that says that. I would also point out that like for 2018, this is sort of, sort of a dumb. It is an interesting conversation to track Republican enthusiasm and Democratic enthusiasm because that is a huge determining factor in, especially in midterms, right? Where your difference between winning 12 seats or 30 seats can depend on how fired up people who don't normally, Democrats who don't normally vote in midterms are. And Democratic success in these special elections up and down the ballot since Trump has been elected have been. A largely a measure of increased enthusiasm among Democrats and decreased enthusiasm among Republicans. So that is like measuring that is important. It's always worth remembering. It's a snapshot in time. It doesn't tell you what is going to happen on election day. But also note that as it relates to 2020, every single human being who voted for Trump in 2016 could do it again, and Trump could still lose by a pretty large electoral vote margin if more Democrats turned out and the Democrat gets a good a more than half of and the votes that were allocated to Jill Stein and Gary Johnson. So it's that, like, Trump can keep his base yep. and still lose. He had his base and lost by millions and got millions fewer votes. So it is not, if Trump's base were to abandon him, the bottom would fall out for him and the Republican Party. So we can look at that periodically. But it is not a good predictor of how strong his chances are. The presence of his base only tells you a little bit about what is true in 2018. What is more interesting is what the third-party voters voted for, where independents are, and where people who didn't vote are. That is what will tell you a lot about 18 and 20. Yeah. And again, all of this, none of this is to predict the outcome of the next election. It's to let you all know that the outcome that we hope for is possible. So one more question before we get to Tim. Dan, how do you think Democrats should respond to this? Um, You know, everyone's been fairly outraged over this. 
Um, we've gone the gamut from, you know, Democrats calling for hearings, calling for Republicans to do something. Some Democrats have called this treasonous behavior. Um, what do you think about all this? I, I'm i not particularly concerned about the message or tweets from Democrats in the aftermath. I think it is largely, I'm sure they were very well thought out, very well written by very smart staffers, edited by smarter bosses. And But I think they're largely inconsequential to what's going to happen in 2018. I think Democrats should, like, I think collusion in the Russia investigation is in some ways a rabbit hole Democrats can get pulled down because it is not, we've been having this conversation for two years, almost two years now. It has, the numbers on it have not moved. And the people who are against Republicans and against Trump are pretty sure he colluded. People with knowledge of the facts probably think he colluded too. People who like Trump either don't care if he colluded, think maybe it's a good thing he colluded because that means Hillary's not president, or just it's not moving votes. But it is the thing that everyone is going to talk about between now and the election. So it's it's unavoidable. And so I would say two things on this. I think, you know, I have been and we have been talking a lot about the message that Democrats should use. I've always, you know, my argument has always been that Democrats should run as being a check on the chaos and corruption of Trump's Washington. Mm -hmm. And I think put you should put it in the context of that is that we Trump just went out there for whatever reason you can argue P tape, you can argue money laundering, you can argue he's just a sucker. He is doing dangerous things, and we need a Congress that will check him. And Republicans will let him do whatever he wants and because they're subservient. And Democrats will do this. So I would do it in that context. This was, the other thing I would do is specificity is our friend, and we should put out specific things that Congress, a Democratic Congress would do I agree to get to this. I put out a list on Twitter the other day. We read it on the pod. You, Tom, yes, Tommy Vitor go. read it out loud on the pod. And uh, and so Brian Butler also had some additions to that list the, yesterday, I think. And mm-hmm. so, but we should have specifics because if it's just like Trump colluded, Trump didn't collude, it's a dumb conversation. But like, here are the specific things to do. And the advantage of that is we're running mostly against incumbents, and so those incumbents should be asked, "Will they do these things?" And they're obviously going to say no. And so that gives you that like specific. We should be, we should put it in a larger framework of being a check against Trump, and because people are going to want that and. Second, we should be specific. And I think if we do that, it's going to be better than just sort of howling at the wind. And like, if people want to say he's treasonous, I'm not a lawyer. I don't really care. People want to say Trump, Putin has leverage on him. I don't really care about that. It's fitting into a narrative that we can sell to voters uh, over the next several months is important. Well, an important part of that narrative, too, is, you know, Trump ran for president saying he was going to put America first. America first was his big slogan. Um, in reality, he's put America last and he puts Trump first. And this goes right into the chaos and corruption message as well. I mean, I do think if you want to if you want to see a message that sort of incorporates both everything that's happened with Russia and potential collusion with Trump's family separation policy, his response to Charlottesville, um, everything he's done around health care and taxes and um, just read Barack Obama's speech that he delivered in um, South Africa uh, this week. And when he talks about the, it's basically as close as Obama has gotten to criticizing Trump without actually directly naming him. And yet he still makes a case for strongman politics versus democracy. And I think that's sort of like the larger theory of the case here, which is with Trump, we're witnessing the rise of someone who only cares about himself, who is only cares about power, who only cares about 
holding power and maintaining power for his rich friends and his rich and powerful family members and the people in the Republican Party that he knows and the leaders of the party and all that kind of stuff like that. And it is one giant story of sort of global corruption that Trump and the Republican Party are guilty of. And that is because of the rise of this demagogic strongman politics. Um, and it's all about Trump. Everything he does, he puts his interests before America's interests on every single fucking issue. Yeah, that's good. That's it. You know, and I don't think we have to get into like Mueller and collusion and, you know, we don't have to be talking about that on the trail all the time. But I do think that this is part of a larger story about who Trump is and who he looks out for. Since you brought up Barack Obama, I think we would be remiss to not mention mm-hmm. uh, the news about Michelle Obama yesterday. Oh, yeah. So Michelle Obama, along with really a cast of great Americans, Tom Hanks, Lin-Manuel Miranda, Chris Paul, Janelle Monet, Faith Hill, Tim Grawl, have got together to create a nonpartisan voter registration effort called When We All Vote uh, that I think it's really great because – and it sort of fits – we're obviously biased in every way because we like the Obamas and we like voting, but – like it fits, it's very much with what the former president and former first lady have wanted to do uh, by focusing on citizenship in their foundation. So we just want to give a shout out to them for doing that and encourage people to check them out. Yeah. And a reminder to go help register people to vote because um, one way to overcome the structural disadvantage, gerrymandering, all the other shit that Democrats face heading into 2018 and 2020 is to expand the electorate by registering people to vote, especially young people who tend not to vote. Um, Okay, when we come back, we will talk to Crooked contributor Tim Miller. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Reclaim your time now that you can listen to four weekly ads-free episodes across Pod Save America and Pod Save the World. There's never been a better time to join Cricket's Friend of the Pod subscription community. The marketing people say that listening ads-free saves you up to two hours of ad listening each month. Imagine the possibilities. You know what you can do with two extra hours a week? You can listen, listen to, to two- more podcasts. Exactly. Ah, two more episodes. Uh, yeah. That's two more episodes. Yeah. Get more stuff in your brain. Yeah. Get more stuff in that more brain. Stuff and content in there like, yeah, uh, like you're a fog goose. <laughs> Become a member today. Go to crooked.com slash friends now to learn more. On the pod today, happy to welcome back friend of the pod, Cricket contributor, uh, Cuck Zone resident, Tim Miller. Tim, how you doing? I'm doing terrible. Uh, I'm, in, I'm in a lather. <laughs> My blood pressure is really high um, this week. But before, before we get into that, I do feel obligated to express just how upset I was that Dan not only would not support me for the Supreme Court last week on the pod, but he would not even put out a positive tweet or statement about me. I mean, after all I've done for you guys, I was your first Republican guest. I voted for Hillary Clinton, who I loathe with the passion of 10,000 fiery sons. You know, I've got my baby in a pod save uh, onesie. People on Twitter make fun of me and tell me you guys are my boss because I'm a contributor and I take that. And after all of this, I, I don't even get I, – I would get nothing from you on my Supreme Court nomination. We, ha- we have to, we have to, we have just, to get you to come around to the Affordable Care That did hurt, and that's why I, I listen to the Monday pod more religiously. <laughs> we'll see. If you, if you keep coming to the left, we'll, we'll see. We, we can revisit this in a few years. 
Uh, maybe you'll be coming to me. Look, I think the statement could be glowing about your personal qualities. <laughs> sure. But sure. perhaps. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Perhaps My carpool line, me in. Uh huh. Whatever. Okay. Whatever. We can get on to business. But I, I just I felt I felt I'd be remiss without expressing that that did sting. Tim, do you know how much trouble we get in every day for normalizing? <laughs> I know. So I, say, I know. I've read the comments. I know. <laughs> okay. So first question, because I know you you have worked yourself up into a lather. I wanted you to come onto the pod for that reason. We've been texting all week about this. Um, how did you feel as a Republican watching the Trump Putin press conference? Let's start there. Or the clips, if you didn't watch it live. You know, I watched it live, unfortunately. I, um, you know, here's the thing. I had about as low of expectations as possible for this press conference for, and for this meeting. And, you know, I figured that at least, you know, Trump would be savvy enough to offer you know, some token swipes at Putin just to give the anti-anti-Trumpers uh, some some fodder, you know, that he would just have, have a, a minimum of, pol- of political instincts on that front. And and I, I just I have to tell you I I audibly gasped when he sided with Putin over Dan Coats explicitly, and um, and you know that was obviously the one thing that he's tried to backtrack on this week. But it wasn't it wasn't the only time. I, you know he he went on a series of insane conspiracy theories talking about the DNC server, you know, and and Strzok and Page. I, I, it, it was it was one of. It was extremely alarming. And when somebody as radicalized against the president as me, you know, can still be surprised by the depths uh, that which he could uh, dive, um, uh, I, I think that is telling. And, um, you know, at that, at, at watching it, I gasped, but I think that what we can get into more is just how depressed and angry and maddened I've been in the, in the fallout uh, by the reaction from, you know, my former colleagues and pals in, in the party in D.C. Well, let, let's do that now, Tim. So, I mean, we're, we're operating on a very low bar here, but McConnell, Ryan, others actually mentioned uh, they were actually put out statements that were specific to Trump, unlike their previous statements, like around the Charlottesville, where they just decried Nazism without ever mentioning the Nazi endorsing president. Um, yeah. Do you like what? What do you think caused them to be more aggressive than they're generally? Uh, reticent selves here and why weren't they more aggressive or what do you want to see them do man you're you're more generous than me on being more aggressive i, I don't maybe maybe mitch named him um critically but it, it was certainly mild um uh I, you know and they and they, they've done this uh you know our friend peter hamby wrote about this in vanity fair about how just this cycle you know continues where it's actually pretty similar to charlottesville i mean maybe they were mildly more critical but you know immediately the pivot comes to you know uh some random person was on Ali Velshi's show and compared this to 911 and or, or the or crystal knocked and how that's actually more outrageous or you know how you know Trump backtracks and now you take him at his word i mean i, I was looking this morning Lindsey Graham i've been reassured unequivocally uh uh Rob Portman i take him at his word that's a direct quote um you know Rubio. I can't read his intentions. I, I, you know, and 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 you know, within 24 hours from now, it will be all Kavanaugh all the time. And 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 for you know, pretty much everybody, with a few exceptions. I, you know, I saw uh, the lone uh, cuck uh, uh, fighter left in Washington. Maybe Justin Amash was firing at him um, last night at length. But there just there is there isn't anything. I mean, th- these guys are ready to move on, and it's it's maddening to me. And and so. I, you know, I, I don't. I, I made some calls before I came on this morning um, to to folks I still talk to that are kind of either you know Trump 
uh, friendly or Trump adjacent or at least, um, you know, less radicalized against him than I am just to see what, what folks were saying. And, you know, the overwhelming feedback I got is that, you know, the what, what the consensus view among Republicans in Washington is, is that he's basically a stupid, vainglorious child who's nice to anybody that's nice to him. Um, the you guys and, and the media and the resistance are, are crazy and you can't believe any of these claims. And, you know, even if it was real, look at what happened to Flake and Corker. You can't beat this guy. Uh, I mean, that is the that is the consensus view. But but what what is interesting about that to me is that there is this undercurrent under under those feelings of these nagging doubts and wonders that this week was even a little bit fucking weird for me, you know? Even people who have been with him and stood by him, you know, you don't look out on the TV shows and see as much from the match slaps of the world like you usually do. Um, you know, you, you do hear the whispers to, to the playbooks and to the reporters behind the scenes, and I, had, and I heard these, you know, this uh, uh, directly uh, said to me that it was a little weird. And, and, and that is the part that, that really gets me, is that, that you can have these doubts. You know, I mean, why? This is where I get really lathered up, so just, just hang Please with do. me for one second. But, like, why? literally, why be a senator? What is the point of being in Congress, of being an elected official, if you think there's even a tiny chance that something as grave as the president being a traitor who is compromised by our enemy is happening, and you're not even willing to hold a hearing on it? You're not you're not even willing to 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 speak out and say this is something that, that we need to look into, that needs to be investigated, this is something you're concerned about. And that has been just the most disheartening thing about this is just how quick it's been to let's move on. You know, what about the Dems? What about the media? Um, you know, let's get our pot, you know, Pat Roberts, let's move on to the farm bill. And this this is just it's. It's unbelievable that even if you would think that there was a tiny chance that 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 he was in bed with Putin, and there's I think really good reason to think that there's a tiny chance given his performance last week and his two-hour private meeting and his servile press conference that they don't want to do anything, and I, it's just it it is it baffling to me and enraging. So. <laughs> You have been a Republican political operative. You've given political advice to Republicans. What would you say to the Republican who argues with you, probably someone on McConnell's staff? Like, look, um, I don't know what you want us to do about this. We hold a bunch of hearings. We start doing things. We start pushing the Kavanaugh nomination past the election, which means there's a possibility we don't seat Kavanaugh. That's a lifetime conservative support, uh, appointment to the Supreme Court that we all care about. And also, have you looked at these polls? The Republican base, 70, 80 percent of them think that it was fine what he did. We're trying to win an election in November. Trump's not going to be president forever. There's bigger things to think about with the party and our agenda. You know, what is the good political argument for actually doing more than issuing a a troubled statement or a sad tweet? That's exactly what they're saying to me, and that's why like my blood pressure is just <laughs> rising up into my head right now, John, because I, I'm like uh, I'm in you know friendship losing level with some some of these people. Uh, I had to step away from Twitter for a few hours for fear of losing friends. So I, I'll, I'll I'll bifurcate the question to two. Like the strategic answer, the political what anybody who's do, running campaigns this cycle will tell you is there is no value in challenging him on this. 
Uh, it's not going to make any difference anyway. We need to get Kavanaugh through. We need to get reelected. You know, it doesn't. It's not going to do any good to to put the Dems in charge, um, and uh, and that's exactly what's going to happen. And 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 they inevitably will point to Corker and Flake, you know, who who only stepped out a little bit, and, and basically were completely neutered. And and my response to that, which I think I've written on your website, is is so. Uh, you know, so what? Uh, uh, like, t- take a swing. You know, I mean, I, I think that, that this is what public service is about. This is why you ran for office. It isn't being in the Senate isn't that great right now. I mean, they've already passed their tax cut. Like, besides Kavanaugh, they're not going to do anything else. There's not 60 votes. The Democrats are not working with them on anything. They're not going to pass anything else. So, so why? You know, nobody has has given me a counter to the argument of why not do both. Like there, there's no rule that says you can't hold hearings on Kavanaugh and hold hearings into the president's uh, financial dealings. You, that you can't subpoena the translator from the private meeting. You, you, Trump will be pissed about it, but but what's he going to do? Withdraw Kavanaugh? You know, I, I, so. I mean, there there needs to be some creative thinking here. You know, I, I mean, I, I get the response that I get when I when I make this offer is, oh, well, you can't do that. There's no precedent for it. I mean, there's n- there's no precedent for a reality TV show idiot Russian stooge winning the presidential campaign either. You know, so like. Uh, have a little creativity, you know. There, the, there's, there's a lot of potential options here, and 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 there is no reason why you can't subpoena his tax returns, or or you can't, you know, call Cohen before Congress, or, or a million other things, um, and and still and still push forth Kavanaugh. I know that you know you'll your um you know listeners will probably think, well, well, no, let's stop Kavanaugh too. He's not. You know he's not a legitimate president, so we shouldn't have Kavanaugh. Okay, I mean they can have that argument, but but obviously you're not going to win over any Republicans with that argument. But the but I don't see why you can't win over the flakes and the sasses and the Collinses and the Murkowskis of of why why can't we why can't we do a little from column A and a little from column B and 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 there's this groupthink in Washington among Republicans that. That you know, I've been body snatched by the left for even suggesting this. That this is a ridiculous notion, and and I don't, I can't, I can't fathom why that is. And I think that there's going to be, you know, if if after the Mueller report comes out, I I don't know. I've always been actually kind of bearish on the idea that there's this great secret Russian conspiracy. I think that kind of what we've seen is bad enough, and 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 is, and is it may be what what there is, but but if there is. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't know how you can live with yourself after that, um, and because this is a very rare instance where there are people in Washington who who believe that there might be something, believe that that the president is in the wrong in a grave way, but aren't willing to do anything. I mean, if you look back at recent mistakes in political history, uh, they've always at least been earnest mistakes, human mistakes, human error, and that's not what's happening here. These these are people who know better and are choosing not to do anything. Tim, beyond so there's obviously Trump, but there, like some of the ele- and I understand, like I can, I don't agree with it. I, I agree with you on the politics of this, but like I can hear a political consultant saying, "Well, we need Trump voters. We got to stick with them." Or Trump put Flake and Corker basically out of the Senate, so you know we got to be careful. Um, but what about? But it was like it wasn't just when Trump was like before we knew how strong he was. 
people coddled to him in 2012. Your friend Mitt Romney begged him for his endorsement. So, you know, many, we've had many Trumps like Steve King, who should scare no one, walking around the Republican conference for a long time, and it, who is an avowed white nationalist, and everyone seems cool with that. Like, what, like, I'm just curious about what you think in hindsight about some of the things that, whether it's Trump himself or, or people like Trump, that the Republican Party writ large has been tolerant enough that led us to potentially having Trump? Yeah. Boy, that's a big question. We could do a kind of a whole podcast on that. But uh, I mean, I, I certainly have some rec- some regrets to that to that regard, uh, in that regard. And, uh, you know, look, I, I think that um, for me, it kind of crossed this threshold with Trump because of a how extreme he is and, and what an outlier he is just on so many levels. And then now after he won, obviously, the, the extreme power he had. You know, I, I think that going back, uh, when I get asked this question, I kind of look back at the uh, Republican autopsy that I worked on um, with Reince. And, and you know, there's this on the right, people will say, oh, you, you were out of touch with the base when you're pushing for, you know, more leniency towards uh, on immigration and outreach to minorities, you know, and on the left, you know, they would make the argument you just made, Dan. And, and, and when, when what was in reality was, we knew exactly what the base wanted. And uh, we knew exactly what, you know, we thought the right approach was both politically and, and you know, ph- philosophically and morally. Um, we were wrong on the political point, obviously, as, as evidenced by Trump's win. Uh, but what we were trying to offer was this was this kind of middle way, right, where, you know, you'd throw some bones um, to the more extreme elements of the base to keep them in the tent, you know, to advance these other principles, right? And, and it's, it's a moral uh, continuum. You know, where everybody has to kind of decide for themselves where that, you know, where that ended, where you allowed allowed it to go too far. You know, I mean, and and you also can't understate, Dan, I think that there was a lot of this was an internal fight within the party. I mean, there was often primaries that were held where, you know, a lot of the people who were in power in Washington, the establishment, so-called establishment, were, you know, fighting for, you know, more center or center right candidates against the uh, uh, Steve King kind of wing of the of the party, um, and so you know I, I think that uh, in a lot of ways the writing was on the wall in that regard. You know, though you could see this this tension between kind of the base and the more extreme elements of the party, and and what you know the John McCain's and and Romney's wanted to do was obvious. You know, it was obvious when Mitt had to you know went to CPAC and said, "I'm severely conservative," right? I, you know, and you can look back in retrospect and see. Um, the embers of this, uh, but I, I just I don't think anybody expected then that um, uh, uh, you know we'd end up with a president like this, um, you know, separating parents from their children, and you know, uh, be, you know, servile a suck up to Putin. So you know you, you justify it to yourself, um, and, and I think obviously that justification was wrong, at least from my perspective. But now you fast forward, and what we what I what we found is that. Ninety percent of my cohort just went all went a hell along with this uh, as it got worse, and so I, I think the question's better kind of you know posed to them about whether whether there is any line on this stuff at all. So you worked for John Huntsman, uh, who's now the U.S. ambassador to Russia. Um, this is someone who's you know more pragmatic than most Republicans. He now is not facing any kind of election because he's a diplomat, like. I keep thinking about what happened this week and thinking about John Huntsman sitting there. And it's like, 
you know, hometown newspaper owned by his brother calls on him to resign. Other people call him to resign. His daughter, Abby Huntsman, <laughs> tweets something out like, no negotiation is worth throwing your own country under the bus. Why is this guy still ambassador to Russia? What do you think is going on in John Huntsman's head? Oh, boy. Uh, I, 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 feel, I, don't, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I, I, I couldn't believe it when he took the job. <laughs> and I, I just don't, I don't, I don't get it now. I mean, I, I, um, I think that there is this thing at play here where a lot of these Republicans, you know, have have like built this alternate reality around Trump where they kind of convince themselves that like the bad parts are just a show and that we can work with him on the good parts that we can nudge him and and that there are protections around him. And I think that a lot of these folks are justifying that. And, you know, I wonder, like, I, I mean, I asked and have asked over and over again how how you like how can you serve a president when he advances insane conspiracy theories over the intelligence that um, uh, yeah, uh, from our intelligence agencies about an attack on our country while standing next to the perpetrator. I, how, how can you, like, you're standing next to the perpetrator and you're siding with him and you're siding with insane conspiracy theories over what your intelligence tells you. If you're in the intelligence, if you're in the State Department, how, how do you continue serving? And, and, and the answer that I get back is, well, it's better to have good people there. It's better to contain them. It's better to serve your country. And that is what John Huntsman thinks. And that is what, what all these other folks yeah. think. But, but what I don't understand, guys, is like, what is the evidence of this? <laughs> right? Like, like, right. right, right. They constrained so like, okay. Where's so the, the constraint? argument is that good people, that it's important to have John Huntsman in Russia because it's, it's important to have somebody who's rational and, and, you know, who's, who's smart and who's making reasonable arguments in this role. Then, then wouldn't the ambassador to Russia be able to then convince the president not to advance an insane conspiracy theory about an attack perpetrated by Putin? Wouldn't he be able to to convince the president to at least give some tacit uh, verbal acknowledgement to our actual allies, like the United Kingdom, for um, uh, for whom that has suffered uh, uh, attacks, uh, deadly attacks, not just cyber attacks, but deadly murders on their turf at the hands of Putin? Um, and and he was uh, and 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 obviously no. So so if if John Huntsman can't do that, if Mike Pompeo can't do that, if Dan Coats can't convince the president that the intel is true, then what good are they? I, and so you know I, I, that is clear as day to me. Um, I, I think that in Washington, um, if I'm like being an armchair psychologist or in Moscow in Huntsman's sense, they are surrounded by other people who are who are patting them on the back and telling them, "Ooh, it's important to have good people in there." You never know who Trump could put in next. It could be it could be a lunatic, and and it makes them feel good about themselves, and it makes them feel like they're serving the country or or doing this noble thing when when actually they're just enabling you know a racist conspirator conspirator in the White House. Yeah, I mean, last question for you is what. What do you think happened? You said that you were, you know, you've always been a little bearish on the idea that there has been some sort of grand conspiracy here. Um, it seems like the two excuses you get for Trump's behavior, uh, at least this week, one is this legitimacy argument. He's so scared that 
um, you know, it, this is going to cast doubt on the legitimacy of his election. So that's why he doesn't want to believe or that's why he seems to believe Putin or cast doubts on the, the intelligence conclusions. And the other, and you mentioned this earlier, is this obsequiousness that Trump sucks up to everyone. So, of course, he's sucking up to Putin. Um you know, we've talked about this in the pod. Like, it seems like there are problems with both of these theories on the legitimacy. It's, you know, he was sucking up to Putin all through the 2016 election, and he doesn't seem to cast doubt on just hacking. He seems to cast doubt on specifically Russian hacking. He likes to say maybe it was China, maybe it was other people. So he doesn't have a problem with the hacking. He has a problem with saying it's Russian hacking. And on the obsequiousness thing, he's not obsequious to almost anyone else in the world. (laughs) So like I don't understand. Well, like he calls everyone a liar and then a conspiracy. Fox host. All, yeah, exactly. Um, Fox host. So I'm not. I'm. What do you think actually happened? Yeah, I also. There's also the third. The what I the Sam Stein theory is that like if he was a uh, Russian stooge, wouldn't he at least be faking it a little right. bit better? Right. Right. I uh, I I don't know. I I uh, look. I I I think that. Um, the the nagging doubts that I have are are more leaning towards this regard. I, I I've always been of the view that that it was obvious that WikiLeaks was a tool of Russia, mm-hmm. and that ju- that just by Don Trump Jr. saying he would accept that meeting, and just by the president cheering on uh, uh, the Russians hacking private citizens in this country uh, with the aims to uh, uh, affect an election, like that's small t treasonous for me. And and he's guilty, and there's there's really nothing you know that that he can do. That's why I reject the Republicans who say let's call balls and strikes. You know I don't give traitorous racist pricks backpacks for for like you know because they threw one strike right because <laughs> they did one thing I like. Uh, whether there's anything more than that, I, I just have always you know felt like we're we're deep in an investigation. This is not something that I have expertise on, mm. but that, you know, it seems more likely that Trump is guilty of financial crimes. That's why he's hiding his tax returns. And that, you know, this like the, a grand conspiracy. I, I just don't know. Maybe maybe what seemed more likely was that, you know, sure, maybe Kushner held a meeting with somebody and they said, hey, Jared, you know, we're going to do this thing. And Jared said, hey, that's cool. And told the president and then they and then they did it. And then they're like, oh, shit. I, I mean, yeah. maybe that that happened. But I've always ha- had some doubts. But I, I just I don't know. After this week. You know, I mean, his performance, if you look back at the debate stage, Trump was so confident and he was new to this. And there were 11 other politicians who had who had better resumes, you know, and, and Trump just bullied them and pushed them around and was and, and was uh, very self-confident. And then Hillary, so confident, you know, standing in her in her space. And, and he was just his body language with Putin was just so, you know, obsequious, so servile. And then the two-hour private meeting. I don't know. I, 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 maybe I'm going crazy <laughs> now, but I, this week that's what I, I've just I've been starting to think that maybe there is something more there. And um, and I think that the the financial element is where it is. Um, the Felix Sater, the business work, Eric Trump when he said that Russians uh, disproportionately invested in our hotels. I, I think the financial is where it would be, and and that is you know bringing back full circle why I just think it's such an uh, abdication of responsibility that that nobody on the hill no republicans think it's even appropriate to do hearings on on this to to try to learn more and um and we're all in the hands of bob Mueller. well and uh and a democratic congress would do it that's for sure um <laughs> 
So, all right, Tim. Well, we will uh, we'll see what Mueller comes up with, and then and then the real fun begins once once Mueller comes up with something scary and Republicans continue to do nothing. That's when we get the real constitutional crisis. Things to look forward to. All right. Well, I'm going to go to yoga to try to get balanced after this after this conversation. <laughs> Thank you, John. Play some video games. Go play some NBA 2K 2K18. That sounds good. All right, man. Take care. Thanks for stopping we'll talk by. Talk to y'all later. Bye. Later, buddy. Thanks to Tim Miller for joining us today. Everyone have a good weekend, and we will talk to you next week. Bye, everyone. Start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.